We have Joan Ryan. She is a famous author. She actually wrote a book called The Little Girls in Pretty Boxes, which was named one of the top 100 sports books of all time. She was a longtime writer for the San Francisco Chronicle. Uh, thanks, Joan, for coming on Ira on Sports. Thanks, Ira. I'm happy to be here. And, you know, I have family in your uh, your radio land down there, so I'm thrilled that they will be able to hear me all the way from San Francisco. That's great. We're also available on SoundCloud and iTunes, so people can listen to the show across the country. But, yes, over terrestrial radio, they can hear uh, tonight. Um, you just wrote a book called Intangibles, Unlocking the Science and Soul of Team Chemistry. And I, I took a lot of organizational behavior classes when I was in college, so I was excited about this. And I've been around teams, and it was great. And I guess, can I ask you the conclusion, first of all, is there, is there team chemistry? Yes. Yes, and and that, you know, as you know, you know, three questions drove this book, and it drove me for 10 years (laughs) getting this book done and doing all the research, and the three questions in this time of analytics and baseball especially, but in sports throughout, is does team chemistry exist, and if it exists, what is it? And then finally, how does it elevate performance? Because why even talk about it, right, if it doesn't elevate performance? And so the book sets out to answer those three questions. And along the way, as you know, you know, we visit, go into a lot of clubhouses and locker rooms and watch what team chemistry looks like and then try to understand the science, you know, and, and you know, biological science, evolutionary biology, all of that beneath it and and really try to get at this phenomenon that we talk about all the time but is is really poorly understood so i i'm going to tell you a quick story i'm interviewing you but i just want to tell this quick story about ben rotzenberger this quarterback of the steelers so uh, he went sure. to he came to out to a blair county sports hall of fame dinner they paid him as a speaker and at the dinner they put people in the hall of fame there's 1500 people who go to this and there's a high school football team they usually put up one high school football team there he went to the event and he talked to, uh, before the event, to the high school football team. That was a, they won the state title, considered one of the best teams and everything. And I heard so many great things about Ben because people had been criticizing him. They said, man, he was great. He spent an hour with the team. He couldn't believe it. Well, a couple years later, I saw Ben on a golf course. And I went up to him. I said, remember when you spoke at the dinner? And I go, people thought it was so great that you went and talked to this team, this high school team, and just spent time with them. And he, and he looked right. He stopped, looked right at me, and he goes, benefit to me? What about benefit to them? What about benefit to me? He goes, I looked in their eyes and that was 12 years after they had won that title. And if you told me that these guys had, you didn't tell me what they won, I would have said they had won a state title. There was, I never saw a band of people together. And he goes, I wish my team had that type of chemistry. And he used the words, he goes, I wish the Steelers had that chemistry. And so I kept thinking when I was reading your book about when Ben, I thought he was going to beat me up when he was yelling at me about that. But the point is that that was that, that passion that came out is like that that's the, what we're what I try to get out of my team, and they had it, and they had it for twelve years later. So I thought that was interesting. And and then in your book, you go and you actually talked about people like Michael Lewis, who wrote Moneyball, and you went up to people and said, "Is there such thing as as chemistry?" And they were like, "No, no, no." So there is that that segment of people that said there there is no chemistry at all. I know, and it is endlessly puzzling to me. And here's why: Michael Lewis. And the reason why I met Michael Lewis is that, you know, I was hired basically to interview him on stage during this, you know, four-night speaker series, you know, and so I could see firsthand. I mean, this is a very bright human being, and I love his books. 
um, and all the rest of it. And for somebody like him, when I asked him, um, uh, oh, I was telling him that we had a mutual friend, this neuroscientist that I was interviewing and spending a lot of time with for this book. And he said, well, how do you know him? You know, and I told him and, and, he, and he said, what's your book about? And I said, team chemistry. And he basically just said, it doesn't exist. <laughs> period. Like there was no like intellectual curiosity or like, like seriously, you're spending a whole, you know, a, a whole book on this thing that doesn't, well, tell me why you think it exists. Like there was nothing. It was just like end of conversation. And as you said, there are people like that that are super, super smart and curious and to not even entertain the possibility that even if you can't quantify team chemistry, which we can't, at least with the tools we have today, there is a scientific foundation to it. And and also just common sense, right? I mean, we experience it all the time in our own lives, in our relationships, in our families, at our offices, right? So the evidence is right in front of us. Now we just have to understand, like, well, what's the effect of it? And, you know, how do we connect with each other, what builds trust, all of those things. But it obviously exists. Right. And then I loved how you talked about in this time of social distancing where you're not touching and you're not talking, you're staying away from close. But you talked about how the humans have developed in terms of the fact is that they were able, the story was the, against the mammoths. Like if they had one uh, person, like a caveman against a mammoth, they wouldn't get squashed. But they learned how to communicate together and work well together and do those things to be able to defeat the mammoths or the mammoths would win. And they said the brain is full of, of, of just not just intelligence, but about these these oxy, you mentioned a term, an oxy term. Oxytocin, oxytocin. And neurotransmitters, mirror neurons where... You know, basically, it, when you're in conversation with another human being, your mirror neurons are firing. And, and what those mirror neurons do is we end up, we understand what the other person is feeling and thinking and, and maybe, you know, reading their intention by basically mimicking what they're doing. That's how it, when we change our facial mu- muscles in response to seeing their facial muscles, it allows then our our face basically is sending signals to our brain to say that person's angry, that person's sad, you know, um, that person's not to be trusted. We get all of these signals. And you're right, you know, over 3 million years of, of human evolution, our brains kept getting quadrupled in size, kept getting bigger and bigger. And, and as you said, it, it wasn't to house the intellectual wiring, it was to keep adding and adding and adding to the social wiring, because that is what keeps us alive, is this sense of tribe and connecting with each other. And of course, you know, that's at the core of team chemistry, whether it's in a business or in in sports. I loved your story about Jason Lezak in the 2000, it was 2008 Olympics where he was in the right. final leg of the Olympics, and that was the Michael Phelps relay. So, And he right. Phelps, Phelps did not anchor the relay. Lisek anchored the relay, and he was going against Alain Ballard, Bernard, who was, the, the, one of the besides Phelps, the other the top uh, swimmer in the world. 
And he's, he goes and enters, and the, and the Americans had done a terrible job. They had given, instead of giving him this big lead that they were supposed to do, where he's going to cruise, he is this, he's now behind a length, and he actually swam the greatest swim he's ever done in his entire life, faster than the time he swims by himself, because it was that, you point, point to, it was a team event. It wasn't, he wasn't swimming for himself. He's swimming for Phelps. He's swimming for Lochte. He's swimming for everybody else on the, on the team, not just himself. Exactly, and, and I love that story. And, you know, there was a group of scientists who, after that, looked at, looked at all, all of the swimmers, um, compared, all the swimmers that competed both in relay and individually, and compared, and almost every one of them swam the same distance faster in the relay, even accounting for, you know, the, the rolling, you know, dive in and, and all of that. But it's exactly what Jake Peavy, Cy Young pitcher, who in, you know, the 150 or so interviews I did, here's Jake Peavy comes out with the one sentence that crystallized for me exactly what the exact description of team chemistry and what he said, because I said, I said, Jake, you're that guy who's out on the mound and you're given a hundred percent every single moment out there. And I don't know if you've ever, you know, watched him pitch, but he's the snorter and the, you know, yelling at us, screaming at himself. And just like, he's, he's just intense out there. And I said, why would team chemistry help you elevate your performance? I mean, you're already giving a hundred percent, you know, it's impossible to give more than a hundred percent. And he said, my teammates bring out a fight in me I can't willingly summon for myself. And that's what it is. And it goes back to exactly what you were saying about, you know, human evolution and and who we are as a species is that we need other people to stir our emotions and, and boost our motivation. We're open loop creatures. So... Your teammates, just as, as uh, Lezak, you know, his teammates, just knowing they were counting on him, could summon from him something he couldn't willingly summon for himself when he, when he was swimming in his individual races. We're talking to, uh, to Joan Ryan, the author of Intangibles, Unlocking the Science and Soul of Teen Chemistry. What's exciting about what we're talking about is we'll say, well, this seems like esoteric, whatever. If you listen to sports talk radio show, people calling in, they're all calling. He's a cancer. Oh, he's great. He's a team guy. We need him. He's a good locker room guy. That's all you hear about. You hear more about yeah, yeah. good locker room guys, bad locker room guys. than you hear like, oh, he hits home runs or he does whatever. It's like, what kind of, what, what is this? Is it good or bad? And you talked about, I thought your story about Audrey Huff with the 2010 Giants, the fact that Audrey Huff was, was viewed as someone who was like not that great of a teammate and he was a loner and didn't care. And he, and he joined the Giants and he somehow found his place on that team. And he went from being someone who wasn't a good teammate to actually being one of the catalysts for them to win the World Series. Yeah, I mean, it was the weirdest thing, which is why I devoted a chapter to it, because I wanted to figure this out. I mean, he was never a good teammate. He was one of those, by his own admission, you know, showed up at the ballpark as late as he possibly could and was out the door while the other guys are are still, you know, changing. Um, but he got into that 2010 Giants clubhouse, and I was, I'm still am the media consultant for the Giants, you know, just helping the players do, you know, good interviews and that, that sort of thing. And there was something about the culture of that team 
you know, Barry Bonds had left two years earlier. A lot of young, young, really talented guys. And Aubrey Huff comes in as a veteran. And, you know, without meaning to do any of this, because he didn't know how to be a leader, those young players started looking up to him. And it's interesting what happens, right, is if you start being trusted, like genuinely trusted, you become more trustworthy. And they brought out this side of him. I mean, he was still coarse and crude and, and all the rest <laughs> of it. I mean, I was never a fan. But, but in that clubhouse, in that year with those exact guys, he was actually a leader. He never was again, never was before, never was again. But that culture, and, and a lot of this goes to Bruce Bochy and his leadership, but that culture was fostered in such a way where it becomes almost a gravitational force where players bend toward each other and toward their shared purpose. And you could just see it happening in that clubhouse and you can certainly see it you know when you look back on it and you examine it and it's like wow that's what was going on and and you know it, it was a phenomenon to watch and I know it happens you know over and over and over again on, on teams at every level and then you talked about your super teammate the guy the people in the People who followed sports knew that Johnny Gomes was a great teammate, but you really elevated him to be like the MVP of all time in this book and spend some time <laughs> about Johnny Gomes, about how it's like every team, you know, some people said it's just lucky. Every team he goes on, they win the World Series, but it, it there wasn't maybe luck. It actually was he, was, he was a contributor because to these World Series wins and his success of every team he was on was successful. Yeah, almost every team and, and like really successful. So I call him my super carrier of <laughs> chemistry. And, you know, so I did a huge deep dive. And the best story that, you know, sort of illustrates this is the 2013 Boston Red Sox, right? You know, there he's on that team. And um, and it was Big Poppy and Dustin Pedroia and all these guys. Well, they find themselves in the World Series down two games to one against the Cardinals. And John Farrell was the manager at the time. And he posed, and, and Johnny Gomes was always in a platoon in, in, in left field, depending on the, the pitching matchup. And, you know, going into game four, it wasn't an advantageous pitching matchup for Johnny Gomes, so he wasn't in the lineup. Daniel Nava was out in left field. So the lineup is posted. As we know, it goes out on social media. Everybody sees it a few hours before the game. And Big Poppy and, and the rest of the uh, the leadership group on that team convene in the clubhouse and then together go marching into John Farrell's office and ask him to change the lineup and put Johnny Gomes in. Now, not only was it a poor matchup, pitching matchup, but Gomes hadn't gotten a hit in the series. And I think maybe he had one or two hits in the entire postseason. So Farrell, of course, looking at them like they're out of their minds and like the lineup's already posted. I'm not going to change the lineup because you guys don't like it. Well, it was basically a mutiny in there and Farrell changes the lineup. And, you know, don't you know that an hour before, maybe even less, before first pitch, there's a, a press release saying that um, Shane Victorino in right field 
suddenly has lower back tightness, and he's coming out, Nava's moving to right, and Johnny Gomes is going to be playing left field. And, you know, by coincidence, Johnny Gomes ends up hitting a three-run homer that puts them ahead for good, and they end up winning the World Series. But, you know, the, the takeaway is that those players believed so completely that as a team they played better with Gomes on the field. And so he's like a walking placebo, you know? I mean, we, we have pain, and a doctor can give us a placebo, even if it's a sugar pill. If we believe it is going to relieve our pain, it often does. And it does because our brain is triggering the pain relief, you know, uh, neurotransmitters in our brain that is sending, you know, that pain relief to our bodies. And that's what Johnny Gomes, you know, they just believed they played better, and they did. It's like, you know, anybody who'd watch, <laughs> watch Dumbo, you know, Dumbo didn't think he could fly, even though he could fly, and he finally got the, quote, magic feather, and he believed it so much that he could fly. And, of course, it wasn't the feather, you know. It was, it was then. So Johnny was bringing out something in that team that they felt they couldn't willingly summon for themselves. And then you spend uh, so much of the book talking about, and this book is a must read. I mean, for anybody, if you don't even hate sports, if you just despise, if you would be listening to my show if you hated sports, but if you knew someone that hates sports, have them read this book because it's just, you, you don't have to like sports to understand organizational behavior. But you spend the book about talking about team chemistry and those things. And then I'm in the back of my mind, I'm thinking, wait a second. She covers the Giants. She talks about the Giants. What about Barry Bonds? What about Jeff Kent? Like, this is the exact opposite. And then you, like, address it head on. You're, like, ready to go. And the most, two of the most moodiest, meanest, nastiest, whatever people in the world. And they're on this team that you're covering. So you're talking about how great this is and this feeling. Like, you have to. This isn't just the elephant in the room. This is, like, the entire circus in the room in terms of, I mean, they had to be the example of what is a team cancer. It would be Kent and Bonds, the two of the most moodiest. And then you, I loved how you spent time talking about how moody they were and everything they didn't talk to the just they didn't talk to the players they didn't encourage the players they didn't talk to the players they wanted their own rules everything applied to them all this and that and then your conclusion was they're not a cancer and just talk a little about about Fonz and Kent and 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 also your interview you had a four was it a four-hour interview with Barry Bonds which is amazing in itself yeah yeah and then followed up with that and then with uh with Jeff Kent too it was fascinating I mean of all the chapters in the book, I, I must say that's my favorite, only because I was so surprised by what I found, because I went into this book saying, okay, Johnny Gomes is my super carrier example, and Barry Bonds was going to be my super disruptor example, you know, so I went, because I did cover him as a sports writer back in the day, and, you know, I was in those clubhouses, and I saw how he, he acted, so only to find out you know, when you talked, I interviewed a bunch of his teammates before I was able to get to him. And I spent a, a year, a year building trust, you know, having a, you know, a conversation here and there at the ballpark because he became like, um, you know, an ambassador and advisor, you know, one of those roles for the front front office. And so he'd be out at the ballpark pretty regularly. Um, and then finally, you know, we got, we got to sit down. But his teammates said, you know, like Bonds just was so different from everyone else, contributed obviously, you know, more than anyone else as far as, you know, winning and scoring runs and, and that sort of thing, that he was just, 
you know, on his own little island of misfit toys, and, and the rest of the team created their own chemistry. And, and they put up with Bonds for the same reason Apple put up with Steve Jobs, other than the fact that he started the company. But, like, the people he worked with, that you put up with guys like Steve Jobs and Barry Bonds because they literally are geniuses at what they do. They're savants at what they do. And geniuses and savants are often usually very difficult characters because they know so much more about their very narrow genius. You know, Barry Bonds are a genius in, in anything but hitting. I mean, but man, he can see things no one else can see. And it's hard for him to understand why other people can't, can't see this and ask him what he calls stupid questions. You know, I mean, he would just ask me these stupid questions. And I'm like, well, yeah, they're stupid to you because you already know it. But the rest of us don't know it, you know, so we're asking you. So they sort of, he got the genius exemption. <laughs> and, and, and his teammates saw that. And then, you know, when Jeff Kett comes on, Oh my God, of course they couldn't stand each other. And that's, you know, teammates couldn't pick which one was worse, you know, as far as, but they were great teammates in this way. They were a hundred percent prepared every single game. They gave everything they had on the field and no two guys cared more about winning than those two. And it's why they were able to play so well on the field. So, they didn't have chemistry, obviously, but they had what I call task chemistry. They had amazing task chemistry. And when I interviewed each of them, each one said, there's nobody I'd rather have on the field with me than that guy. So they totally respected each other, totally trusted each other on the field, and had none <laughs> in the clubhouse or anywhere else. And when we look at those 70s um, Yankees teams, A's teams that, you know, would have fist fights in the clubhouse and all that, they had no social, emotional chemistry in the clubhouse. They had incredible task chemistry on the field. So those, you know, because that's a question I always get. Well, how did those guys win? They had no chemistry. And I, you know, discovered, no, they do have chemistry. It's just a different kind of chemistry, but it was as strong as any chemistry you're going to find. Like you talked about how Bonds didn't want, he said, I, I'm, I'm ready to play in a game. I don't want to play cards. Like, I don't want to be viewed as how well I'm going to sit and play for an hour of cards. I need to get my sleep. I need to have my massage chair. I need to have my physical therapist stretch me out. I need to have all the special things. I go, I'm the one who hits all the home runs. I need all the, the benefits of everything. I mean, didn't they want me to hit it? So his attitude was that. And then, so he didn't, and then you talk about, you interviewed other people and say, Lo, it's great. We bond. We go on right water rafting trips and we do these things. Whereas Bonds didn't care about his players, didn't care about anything. He just cared mm -hmm. about the game. Game, but you're right. It was the task. And also you spend time on the trust, the word trust. And, and you mentioned it with Kent and Oral Hersizer because Kent does, you know, he doesn't talk to anyone. But he said that one time when he saw that Oral Hersizer, after Kent got hit by a pitch, then Oral, Oral took, you know, hit another batter for him. And then at that point, he felt like he was going to play for Oral. You know, as much as Kent was saying there was no chemistry, there's no chemistry. As, he's, as, you're, as you're interviewing him, he's saying there's chemistry. Exactly. You know, he felt that he just didn't want to use that word. And and frankly, I kept thinking, God, there's got to be a better word for this than, than uh, team chemistry. But it really was, you know, that that was what it was. Is you know, that's what we know it by. So let's just let's just go with it. 
And I also asked Kent, I don't know if you remember this in the interview, I asked Kent, I said, hey, you know, do you love your wife? Oh, yeah, of course I love my wife, you know, blah, blah, blah. And I said, well, how much do you love your wife? Because he kept saying, well, you can't quantify it, you know, so how do we know it exists? I said, well, how much do you love your wife? Well, I'd take a bullet for her. And I said, well, that sounds like a lot, you know, <laughs> but there's there's not a number. We're like, what number would you put? Well, you can't put a number on it. I said, well, you know, is that love real? Oh, yeah, of course it's real. And I said, okay. So then why would you say that the that the feelings and relationships in among teammates isn't real unless you can quantify it? And then I asked him, I said, do you think your wife has made you a better man? Said, oh, man, exactly. Okay. So wouldn't it be, it makes sense that any two human beings can can make each other better. Well, okay. And he said, well, that gives me something to think about. So he really <laughs> did think about it. I appreciated that. We're talking to Joan Ryan, author of... Uh Intangibles Unlocking the Science and Soul of Teen Chemistry. This is Ira on Sports, True Oldies 95.9106.9. You spent so so much time in the book talking about the different players, sages and kids and forces. We don't have time to go over it. But I loved how you talked about the the cancer, the clubhouse lawyer. I love that's a term because I'm a lawyer myself. So they've heard, it's like, it's like, and I guess that's the point is when when you're trying to bring, it's not just a person who wants to be moody and whatever. It's someone who wants to cause trouble. And like you said, the clubhouse lawyer doesn't isn't usually the best player, but it's just someone who is always stirring up, arguing, complaining, those type of things. And that's what that's really what destroys. And you said it's like the bad apple that one bad person could actually cause all these problems. Right. And I always thought it was the, the Barry Bonds, and I forgot how good those teams were. But yeah, there's two super disruptors, and one is the malingerer. The guy that suddenly has to has to take a day off when Clayton Kershaw's on the mound, right? And then there's the guy who's the complainer and is always trying to recruit other guys. Oh yeah, you're getting screwed too. I'm not the only one, and that's unfair. And why is that guy playing? And and those guys can eat away and create huge factions in a clubhouse that is just like death. And then you, I, we love, of course, talking about basketball with the Miami Heat here down here in South Florida. And you bring the Golden State Warriors involved. And you spent time with Steve Kerr and talking. And, of course, that whole chemistry of Durant and Curry and Draymond Green and, right. and all that mess that goes on. And we still talk about it. I'm telling you that if you listen to these shows, it's like, did Curry, you know, why, was it, why wasn't Durant beloved? Durant just once loved. It is all about chemistry for him. And it was interesting how you tried with talking with Kerr and talking with the people at the Warriors understanding where the whole Warriors team chemistry is and when the thing broke down between Draymond Green and Kevin Durant. Right. That was a fascinating thing, you know, because uh, Draymond was really acting like a jerk. You know, just just calling, you know, because Kevin Durant called him out and then he has to call him out. And what was fascinating was how they resolved it. And Draymond Green, for, you know, we see him, he, he's just, a, you know, explosive on the court and, and can play kind of dirty and, and all that. But he totally owned it. It took him a little while. He and Kevin Durant met a couple of times, and he actually listened. And I thought, that's what it takes. And that's leadership, really, it is. It's like, okay, I am actually disrupting this team. I am weakening this team. And so he owned it. And he was, and I've never seen this happen before, frankly, in all my years in sports. 
that Draymond Green addressed it publicly and called himself out. He said, I was being, and I forget the language he used, you know, a baby or, or whatever it was, but he just called it and owned it publicly and took questions and answered all the questions and said, I need to be better. And he said his own baby son was like, you know, Dad, what are you doing out there? <laughs> you, know, you look like an idiot. Um, and he did change. He did change. And Kevin Durant saw that. And that healed it. It, it did. They got back on track after that. And it was, it was interesting to see how leadership manifests itself depending on the culture of a team. You did, and you did emphasize in the book, I liked how you said, when there is good team chemistry, look, things go wrong. There's going to be fights. There's going to be problems. You mentioned the Giants team where they had a dispute between the evangelical side and the teams that want to, the players that want to party all the time. But when they have good team chemistry and there's that communication, and it's not just that in the locker room, but it's even during the game when when they're when they're losing in a game. And you almost, I thought about the Nationals, Washington Nationals last year, when they kept going, you know, just their comebacks and how they were able to overcome everything. And it's almost because that chemistry helps them overcome the problems more than if you don't have bad chemistry and something goes wrong, then everything just falls apart. But then somehow these teams, when they have that good chemistry, when things are, when there are problems, they resolve them and, and go forward. They do. And, and that's when you have like, you know, there, I'm sure there are layers to team chemistry. You know, I really could have researched this for 30 years <laughs> and, and still be scratching the surface. You know, it's just, endlessly fascinating but the best team chemistry teams are the ones that become like a military company like you're in the army and you're on a battlefield and you ask any soldier who has ever seen combat and they're trained for this and boot camp everything goes into not only their technical skills and their and their physical conditioning boot camp is hard because it bonds the players together, totally bonds them together, so that when they're out in, in war, in battle, they are out there fighting for each other. It's no longer God and country or, or, or some you know concept. It's for the guy next to you. And so their commitment to purpose it begins with this purpose. We're doing this for our country, you know, for our, for the Marines, whatever. The commitment to purpose melds into commitment to each other. And you hear about soldiers saying, "I'm, you know, they're they're wounded. I've got to go back out there. I got to go back out there with my guys. I got to take care of them." And sports can have a version of that. And I saw it on those three Giants World Series teams. You know, they played for each other. And you know what? When you play for each other, even at a business, you know, when you really feel committed to this group of people trying to accomplish this one, this thing, you are going to never be without motivation. Because if it's your teammates or your colleagues that are motivating you, they're right at hand. You don't have to kind of gin up this like, oh, yeah, the country. Oh, yeah, you know, the bottom line. Yeah, let's just try to meet my sales goal. You know, that doesn't get your your juices flowing, right? But your colleagues and your teammates can always get you motivated. Um, we've talked to Joan Ryan, author of Intangibles, Unlocking the Science and Soul of Teen Chemistry. It's available 
um, right now on uh, Barnes and Noble, Kindle, Amazon, everything. But uh, Joan, great interview. Thanks for coming on. I love this book, and it said it's a book that anybody should be able to read. If you're in, if you just are talking to people, you probably need this book. So thank you so much for writing this <laughs> and actually applying it to sports because someone, people who follow sports, and again, we talk about this all the time in sports, and I don't think people realize how much time they spend talking about dynamics of the locker room more so than just what happened during the game. Exactly. I mean, studying team chemistry was studying human nature. I mean, it, it really was. And I'm so glad you got that from the book, Ira. And um, really thank you for giving me this platform to talk about it. I could, as, as you can tell, I could talk about it all day. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks a lot, Joan. I really appreciate it. Thank you very much. Uh, okay, Ira.